Let's dive right into the text as we begin this morning. As I said, we're in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're uh, picking it up in verse 19. And it says this, And so he, he being Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah, and he said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose, and he went after Elijah, and he assisted him. Uh, After several weeks of of tackling 20 or 30 verses at a time, uh, this morning we come to just these three verses, but they're they're a really powerful and pivotal moment in Scripture. And uh, and, and so I want to just take a moment here to kind of get us on the same page as we we begin. I know as we've read through this, some of you are thinking, okay, this sounds like uh, some ancient prophetic guys. There's some sort of passing of the baton going on here. It looks like one is passing on his, his legacy to the other, and uh, there's probably some historical significance here, but I really don't know what this is going to have to do with, with my marriage or, or my relationship or my struggles at work or my money problems or, or my addictions or my, my challenges. And so, uh, man, I, I, I guess this one's not for me today. Um, some of you might be looking at this and saying like, oh, wow, this sounds like a really good passage for those who are called to ministry. And so, uh, you know, I've got a nephew or a cousin or a friend who's in seminary or who's overseas or whatever. And if this one pans out, if he tells enough jokes this morning or if he makes it interesting enough, maybe I'll forward it on to them. Maybe this will be a good sermon for them to listen to. Maybe this will encourage or inspire them, but, but I don't see much in here for me. Some of you might be looking at it and saying, I can't believe he boiled that ox meat. You know, like, I've watched enough Food Network to know, I mean, unless it was like a sous vide kind of thing where he put it in the pouch and, like, put it in there, like, you know, it needs some smokiness. This was a barbecue situation, and I just don't understand the boiling. It doesn't make sense to me, and, and, and if that's where you're at, I, I, I'm with you, and I understand. But the question uh, that we all have to ask is, is, does this passage have anything to do with us? And what I would encourage you is that, that it does significantly, because... This is a passage about calling, and this is a passage where we look at Elisha's incredible response to the call of God, and the significant thing for each of us to understand is that we have been called by God. Everyone in this room has experienced the call of God in their lives, and so the question for us today is, have I responded well to the call that God has placed upon me? Have I, have I followed the good example that Elisha sets here? Are there things that he shows? Are there things that I can look at and see in how he responded? And can I identify if there's any area in which I'm falling short of that in my response to the call that God has placed upon me? And so, uh, knowing that you guys are scholarly and, and want some, some evidence of, of that fact, I want to take you to a couple scriptures here as we begin this morning. And you can either uh, rapid-fire sword drill with me around your Bible, or you can just write them down and you can go back and look at them later. But uh, let's look at Romans 8.28. Um, We love this verse, right? It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We love to quote that verse, right? All things together for the good, right? But but it says all things together good for those who are called for his purpose. And, and, And really, even though that's an awesome verse, 
we like to mini quote it because that means we can make it mean whatever we want it to mean, right? So, uh, so man, I totally screwed up and I, and I really shouldn't have done all that stuff to you. But hey, God works all things together for the good. So it'll be all right. Like he's going to redeem it. And that's probably true. But it continues in verse 29. It says, for, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he actually called us and he predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. As we walk with him, we're going to look more like Jesus and we're going to sound more like Jesus and we're going to act more like Jesus. And the longer that we live walking with God, the more that we're going to look more and more like Jesus in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called... He also justified. So now we've been justified. Now we've been, we've been made right before the judge of all humanity. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Wrap your mind around that, that God, through Jesus, is glorifying us. We're being made more glorious. I don't feel very glorious most days. Um, you know, I woke up with a sore throat this morning, so my glory level is, is at an all-time low. But, but God says that he justifies and he glorifies. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Right? Drop the mic, go home, right? Like, basically saying God called us, and he has given us everything in Jesus. If he didn't withhold his own son, if he didn't withhold Jesus, the perfect gift of grace and mercy from us, then why would he withhold lesser things from us? That, that, that if we're called, we're the recipients of all the great things that God has to give to us. Over in Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 3, it says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says, hey, you've been called, so act the way that someone who has been called should be act." Be humble and be gracious and be merciful and patient, eager to maintain unity. Over in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 through 27, he says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. It's the nicest way that I've ever been called foolish and weak in my whole life, right? I read that verse, and I'm like, praise God. I'm foolish and weak, but God has called me to be used. Because it's not about the glory that we come in with. It's, it, it's, it's about what God places upon us, the identity, uh, the truth that he puts into us when he calls us. And the last one I'll share with you, and there's many more, but um, 1 Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He says that you're chosen, that you're royal, that you're holy, that you're his own possession, and that you've been called out of darkness and into light, right? So, so he says over and over in Scripture that we're called, and so I want you to realize this morning that you are called. You're, you're called into a relationship with God. You might not have walked in here thinking that you were called, but the reality is, is that you are. You're called. Now, there, there, there may be some of us in here that say, hey, well, yeah, I'm not actually so sure about that because I'm still trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing, and I don't, I don't really know if I yet believe in him, and so I don't know if I'm, I'm called or, 
or I grew up in the church, but I'm starting to kind of ask some questions, and I'm just kind of wondering if, am I even a Christian, or am I called? And I just want to encourage you that if you're sitting here in church this morning, and you're asking yourself, Jesus, are you calling me? The answer is yes, right? Because <laughs> somebody who's not called is not going to ask that question. Somebody who's not called is not going to say, like, God, I want, I want to be called, but I don't know if you're calling me. He's calling you. The phone is ringing, right? Ring, ring. Mine's an old rotary phone, so that's how mine goes. Right? Today's the day to answer the call, right? So everyone in this room, and even if you're listening online and you hear my voice, you, you, you've been called. And so the question that we go forward with now in this passage is, okay, how am I responding to that call? How am I responding to that call? We're going to look at three things here in the, in the response of Elijah. First, it's, it's a God call. The call is, is from, to, and about God. Second thing we're going to see is that, that the response is wholehearted and complete. And the third thing is that the call is to a team of servants. We're called to serve on a team. So the first thing, the call is a God call. It's, it's from, it's to, and it's about God. And we see this, um, that Elijah is the one who delivers the call to Elisha. But the call is from God. And, we, and we, we see this in the passage that comes right before this that Ben preached on last week. Uh, it, it begins, and so if you look just at the earlier paragraph there in your Bible, beginning in verse 13, it says, when Elijah heard it, and, and so what was it? It was this still small whisper. So you gotta, you got to get in context of where we're at, right? Elijah was sent to confront the wicked king Ahab and the 450 prophets of Baal. Uh, they had this big showdown on the mountain, and God answered with fire and proved that he was the one true God. And then after three years of drought, he made it rain, it downpoured, and Elijah sprinted out ahead and beat the chariots uh, to the city. But when he gets there, Jezebel says, hey, I'm going to kill you. And so he's like, man, everything was going awesome until that moment. And then he went off into the desert, and he climbs under a broom tree, and he's crying. He's saying, God, I just want to die. I don't want to be here anymore. And God essentially comes to him and says, hey, dude, have a Snickers, right? <laughs> like, when you're hungry, you're not yourself, right? Like, just eat something, take a nap. I'll talk to you when you wake up. <laughs> he wakes up. He's like, dude, you're still not ready. Eat some more, right? And he gives him some more food, and then he brings him to the mountain to confront him face to face. Uh, and then he said, we're told that there's an earthquake, and there's a wind, and there's a fire, and all these things, but God wasn't in any of those things. And then there's a still small whisper, and God is in the whisper. And so, so Elijah goes out to talk to him. And so when he heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him, and it said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, to, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So we see here the call is from God, right? We don't, Elijah didn't say to God, hey, God, I, I was thinking, you know, I, I saw this guy, Elisha. He's plowing some really straight lines. He seems, to, he seems to be a man of integrity and character. I think he might be a good replacement. What do you think, Lord? Elijah doesn't even seem to know who Elisha is, right? He's got to give him some direction. He's like, he's the son of Shaphat, you know, Abel Mahola. You go down past the second barn, you take a left, right? Like, he's kind of saying, like, you got to go over here and find this guy. 
You've never heard of him, but he's going to be your replacement. God is the one who called him. And so the call for Elisha came from God, and the call is to God. The call is to, to, to serve God, not Elijah. And I, and I think that's a good thing because when we, um, when we visualize this, uh, this encounter, this mic stand is going to play Elisha for us today. This didn't tangle. So we've got Elisha. He's out here. He's out here plowing in the field. And, uh, and so this is kind of how I visualize it going down in my mind, right? So Elijah's there, and he's got his awesome hoodie cloak on, right? And they're kind of walking, and they give each other like, hey, what's up, bro? And uh, he's coming this way, and then Elijah kind of drops the cloak on him, right? And he's like, oh, yeah. This is happening. This is happening right now, right? But, but if you look at the passage, that doesn't seem to be what happened, right? It, it's kind of more like, more like this, like Elijah's going along. He's not even really like making eye contact. And he kind of like right as he gets past him, he's kind of like, and he sprints out, right? Because what's it say in the passage? It says, it says Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak on him. And then he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. So, so Elijah took off, right? He's like, I'm out of here. I remember Elijah was fast. He outsprinted the chariots when, when, when the rain started falling. So, so uh, Elisha's out of breath. He's like, hey, hey, man, I just, I just got a couple questions for you, right? Like, can I go back? And what does Elijah say to him? He says, go back. He says, what have I done to you? And there's kind of two schools of thought about what, what was going on here. One is that, um, that he's essentially like, hey, man, do whatever you want. Like, what, what have I done? Who am I? I'm, you know, deal with God. God's the one that called you. <laughs> It wasn't me, you know, so what, what have I done? You can do whatever you want. It's up to him. You almost wonder if Elijah thought he could just throw the cloak on him and just take off and be done. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man, he's following me. I'm going to have to train this guy, right? But the other possibility is, and I think it's kind of in keeping with Elijah's um, personality, is he says, oh, what have I done to you? <sighs> man, you don't even, don't, don't even get me started on how difficult this job is, right? Have you ever, have you ever gotten a job? Um, and, and the person who was training you was like, get ready for the challenge of your life. <laughs> I hope you got a lot of sleep last night. Let me show you how the milkshake machine works, okay? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, like, Elijah was like, man, I got a tough job, and now you're going to have to do it. And this, oh, man. And, and to his credit, they were trying to kill him. He did have to run for his life. There was times where he was starving. I mean, the, the, being the servant of the Lord, uh, the prophet, was, was not an easy task. I was like, man, what, what would I have done? So all those things would be incredibly discouraging, right? But, but the good news is that he wasn't called to Elijah. He was called to God. He was called to work for God. And so the Bible even says this in other places, right? It says, it says hey, if you've got a wicked master, serve them well, because you're not working for them. You're working for the Lord. Whatever you're doing, right? Our, our guy Carson Wentz, right? He says, audience of one. He's not throwing the football for you. He's throwing the football for Jesus, Right? And I hope he keeps doing it really well, continually, right? Amen. But he understands that ultimately the sports talk radio and then the fans and, and the people and, and everybody, you know, people are going to say the things. But he says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for, for Jesus. And you should do your job the same way, whatever your job is. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a, a doctor, whether you work in, uh, outside, you work with your hands, you work with an office, whatever you're doing, you should do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. 
He's the one who's called you. He's the one to whom you're responsible. I don't know how great of a boss Elijah was. I don't know, I don't know how he turned out to be. He was kind of depressing when it started out, right? But I think that, that he amped it up after a while. I think he turned out to be a, a phenomenal man to follow. But, but Elisha wasn't called to follow Elijah. Elisha was called to follow God. And ultimately, it was for God's glory. It wasn't to make a name for himself. It wasn't to carve out a niche of ministry for himself. It wasn't to, to prove to the world how great he was. He was called to be about the glory of God. You may have found a salvation at a certain church or under a certain pastor. You might be called to serve in a, in a ministry or a mission or a church or a job. But don't ever forget who the call comes from, who the call is to and who the call is really about. Elijah and Elisha, they, they weren't called to this. Uh, they would have loved to see uh, the nation uh, repent and turn back to God in this incredible renewal and this restoration of Israel. But that wasn't what they were called to. They were called to keep the true flame of worship alive to the one true God in the midst of a broken and wicked generation. And because they did that faithfully in their lifetime, they didn't see the repentance that they desired. But here we are, thousands of years later, still studying and being encouraged by their example. So we're not called. The, the results are up to God. The success is up to God. The, so many things can, can ebb and flow. Our call is to faithfulness calls to, to glorify God. And that can be a real challenge if we're worried about our own reputation in the midst of it, right? Because most of us are saying, hey, how, how can I make my mark on this world? How can I carve out my niche? How can I, how can I show that I'm, I'm worth something? How can I be remembered? But how many of you even remember, how, how many of you guys know anything about your great-great-grandparents? How many of us can even name our great-great-grandparents, <laughs> our great-grandparents' parents? Right? Like even your kin, even your children uh, that, that come down after you are unlikely to remember very much about you, <laughs> what you did, who you were, maybe even your name. But if you invest yourself into a spiritual legacy, that can carry forward for generations to come. Your great-great-grandchildren may not know who you are. The, the people that you impact may never know your name. But it's not your name that needs to go forward. It's the glory of God that needs to go forward. And, and that's what we need to be living for. And Elisha understood this. As we looked at in, in Psalm 138, the Lord will fulfill his purpose in you. So many problems, times we, we get upset because God isn't fulfilling my purpose for me. <laughs> and a lot of our, our, our brokenness is related to the fact that we're disappointed that we're not getting the things that we want in life. And, and we can find a lot of joy just in changing our outlook and saying, God, I just want to be about your glory. I want to see you glorified because you can serve God in quiet, humble servitude that nobody sees or nobody recognizes, and he can be glorified in that even if nobody else recognizes it. And so there's a, it's an incredible source of peace and, and comfort if we're willing to do it that way because the Lord sees all that we do. So the first thing, the call is to, from, and about God. Second thing, the response is wholehearted and complete. Um, Elisha says goodbye to his parents. We're told that he burns the yoke and the plow. He, he slaughters the oxen. He, he throws a party. He offers up a sacrifice. Uh, he, he blesses his whole village, and then he goes and he assists Elijah. Now, I, I like to picture, you know, what it was like there at the, at the, the farewell barbecue, right? And can you imagine, the, you know, these guys are sitting around and be like, hey, man, this is some great 
boiled oxen meat that you gave us, Elisha. I really appreciate that. And Elisha's like, yeah, it's a family recipe. You know, I, I learned how to do it a while ago. And uh, he's like, man, I, I, just, I just can't believe that you, you slaughtered your oxen and, and burned your yokes for us, man. That's incredible. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're not mine. <laughs> and he's like, what? Is they're not you? Who do they belong to? Yeah, I, I don't, I have no idea. But uh, he's probably going to be angry when he finds out. In fact, uh, I was fixing to get out of here. Elijah's pretty fast, so I think we're going to be able to, to, to jet out of town before anybody figures it out. But yeah, I, I don't know who they belong to. But right? no, that's not, that's not what happened. He, he, had the, he owned the oxen. He had the ability to, to slaughter them. He, he owned the plows. He had the ability to burn them. He was, he was a wealthy man. He had a lot to lose. The cost was significant in what he did. And yet he was willing to do it. Uh, some of you might be thinking of, there's a comparison. In, in Luke chapter 9, there's a, the person that comes and says something very similar to Jesus, but gets a very different response. If some of you are familiar with this, in Luke 9, uh, 61, it says, uh, Yet another person said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus told him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So what's going on there? Why, why was Jesus' response to that person so different than, than, than the response that Elisha got? And I think uh, what we can say is that, that Jesus was so good at looking into a person's intentions. He didn't really look so much at what was coming out of their mouth or what they were doing, but he was able to look into their heart. And so for this person to ask to go back home and to ask to say goodbye, it demonstrated that there was some, some sort of half-heartedness, right? That they had one foot, I, I really want to follow you, Jesus. I'm, I'm totally into it. I just, I just got to do this one thing first. And, th- and, then I'll, and then I'll come. And Jesus says, hey, if, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom. But in Elisha's case, his going back was actually solidified the fact that he was completely committed. Essentially said, hey, Elijah, I need to go burn my bridges. <laughs> I need to say goodbye to all these people because I don't expect to ever see them again. I need to get rid of my livelihood. I'm not going to say, hey, can you hold on to these oxen for me? I might be back in a couple months. I'm going to say, hey, they're done. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm moving on. God has called me to something new. The question is, for you, was, 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 was the response to the call of God that complete in your own life? Now, it might not be, in, in Elisha's case, he left his work behind. He left his job and he went to a call of ministry. That might not be the call for everyone here. And that shouldn't be, I shouldn't expect that after this service that you all say, hey, Ezra, I quit my job. Where do you want me to serve and where do I pick up my paycheck, right? Like, um, it's, not, it's not necessarily going to work that way. Um, but, but even if God calls you to remain in your job and do exactly what you're doing, he might say, hey, now you're under new management. You used to work for a, a cranky old mean boss, but now you're working for God. So you're doing the same job, same hours, but you're doing it with a completely different mission and purpose and identity. And while you used to hope for that person's recognition or approval or love uh, to feel like you were significant and had worth, now your worth comes completely from God. And so you don't need to look to them anymore. So the outward appearance of your life may not change, but the, but the inner workings of your heart may be completely different. But we have to ask, hey, is there, are there part of me that, that yeah, yeah, God, I want, I want your approval. I want to I wanna be relying on you, and I want to follow the call wholeheartedly, but, but I'm also still looking for a little bit of recognition over here. I still have a hard time sleeping at night because my boss just won't recognize me because that, that other person got the promotion, and I know I deserve that, and that wasn't, that wasn't right, and that wasn't fair. And, and man, nobody... Nobody, no, nobody said, attaboy. Nobody, nobody congratulated me for the work that I was doing, right? Like, with, there's so many ways that we can kind of emotionally get tied up in seeking uh, the approval of man. 
And we all love that. We all desire that. But, but ultimately, our approval comes from God. And, and when you wholeheartedly commit to that, it gives you much more freedom and joy to kind of take the other things of life as they come. So his response was, was wholehearted and complete. In, in, in essence, he was kind of the anti, uh, you're familiar with the rich young ruler from Luke chapter 18. A rich young man comes to Jesus and he says, he says hey, uh, how can I obtain eternal life? And, and he says, he says uh, hey, listen, basically just follow the Ten Commandments. And he's like, yeah, I've done that ever since I was a kid. I did all that stuff. And Jesus says, okay, one thing you lack. Sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And the, the young man kind of, kicked the dust a little bit and kind of sadly turned and walked away because he was unwilling. And Jesus was able to identify that in his heart that was un, he was unwilling. As you, as you look at your own heart, as you look at your own life, is there anything in your life that you say, man, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, right? <laughs> like, God, I'll do anything, but, but don't ask me to do this. I can't do this, God. He wants you to free you from that. He, want, he, want, he wants something better for you. Wholehearted commitment. Is there a plow that you need to burn today? Do you need to throw a party? <laughs> throw a party for your neighborhood and say, hey, you know what? I'm done with this. You guys can have it. I want to bless you rather than hoard this for myself. You know, is there a cherished sin that you're defending and holding on to that you need to let go of? Is this just an area of obedience that you failed? God's been tugging on your heart. Hey, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And you've just been resisting and resisting and resisting. Is it time to finally just let go and say, yes, Lord. I just, I'll just obey. I'll just obey. That's what, he, that's what he requires. The final thing that we see is that this is a call to join a team of servants. What's your specific assignment going to be? What is God calling you to? I don't know. But I know that he's calling you to serve. For Elisha, he entered into 18 years of serving Elijah. And a lot of that time was spent uh, procuring meals for Elijah, doing Elisha's, Elijah's laundry, <laughs> Doing some real menial tasks, but doing them with joy in the service of the Lord. Not every job is going to be glamorous, but he calls all of us to, to, to serve. Isn't this what Jesus said at the Last Supper? He said, he said, hey, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. If you want to be first, you must make yourself last. So I know whatever God is calling you to, he's calling you to serve. And to resist the temptation to think that it's all about you, I think that Elijah was a great prophet. He was an incredible man. But one thing that we saw come up over and over again is he continued said, hey, I'm the only one. It's just me. There's nobody else. It's all me. I, I feel like I'm alone. And look how it spun him out. Look how depressed he got. Look how, look how upset because he thought that it all rose and fell on his shoulders. And essentially when God comes to him, he doesn't really answer any of his questions directly. He says, hey, I want you, now that you're done doing it by yourself, I want you to go be part of a team. I'm going to have you anoint this king. I'm going to have you anoint this king. I'm going to have you anoint this prophet. And Elisha seems to get that right off the bat. Elisha sees like, hey, I'm not, uh, I'm not making a name for myself now. I'm continuing the ministry of Elijah. And we see this because uh, you saw in that passage, he told Elijah to anoint King Haziel and anoint King Jehu. But Elijah never actually did that. Elisha was the one who ultimately will go and anoint Haziel. And then he actually recruits a son of the prophets to go and be the one to anoint Jehu. So, so he takes the responsibility of Elijah and he passes it on to someone else. And we see in it this building of a team that, that says, hey, it doesn't matter who does it. It matters that it's done. If it's God's will and he's laid it in, in, into my lap, it, I'm not the one that needs to take the victory lap and get the pats on the back. I, I just need to make sure that it's done. And, and in fact, it's better if I set it up for, 
for someone else to do it. Because God can be glorified by them and we can expand it and multiply it. This is what we call discipleship at Riverside, right? Say, hey, I want to learn to obey all that God is teaching and then I want to share it with others. Because me just living a purified, holy, perfect life isn't really doing a lot of other people any good, right? It's when I share even my brokenness, hey, here's how I completely failed at this. Let me share that with you so you can do better. And you can pass it on to somebody else. If you, if you gravitate towards isolation and when you think about your calling, you tend to think about what is it that I'm supposed to do? What is it that God wants me to accomplish? Maybe you're just aiming at the wrong mark. Maybe you just need to ask, God, how do you want me to become part of the team? What, what, what's the role that needs to be filled so that your name can go forward? That's what church is all about, being willing to do whatever's, whatever's needed. In conclusion, I want you to see the greatest call that we can experience is to be a part of the great story of redemption that God is working out before our very eyes. And any other pursuit that bears greater weight than that in our life is, is really a return to the rebellion that Adam and Eve pursued in the garden, right? If you, if you put uh, carving out a perfect life for your family or if you put your own reputation or, or your own advancement or your, or your name or your spot in history, if you put that above God's glory and his calling, then it can become rebellion. A good thing can become an idol. God doesn't want that for you. Jesus loves us. He always lived in obedience and perfect relationship to the Father, right? He was constantly talking about the Father. He said, hey, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I do this to glorify the Father. It's because of the Father that I'm here. I only do what the Father tells me. Mom and Dad, didn't you know I would be in my Father's house, right? He was constantly, he understood that it was to, from, and about the Father. Jesus' obedience was, was complete. He didn't hold anything back. He left the glories and riches of heaven to come and to be born as a, as a baby, to be persecuted and rejected by his very creation and to be crucified on a cross. He set the example for us in, in complete abandonment of his own agenda. He said, not my will, but your will be done. And ultimately, even though Jesus was victorious when he rose from the grave, he accomplished our forgiveness and our, and our acceptance. He passed the mission on, right? He came to his, his, his disciples and he said, hey, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you. I want you to go in all the nations, and I want you to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I want you to teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And they were faithful in that. The twelve were faithful in that, and Paul, and Silas, and Barnabas, and Priscilla, and Aquila, and down through the ages, Augustine, and Martin Luther, and today, in this room, we're carrying forward that legacy that Jesus has called us to serve as part of that grand mission of seeing his redemptive purposes accomplished in all the world. That's a high calling. You should be excited about that. That's a great thing to be called to. So I just encourage you today to consider the truth that you are called and to evaluate. Is my response to the calling that God has placed on me reflective of what Elisha's response was to the calling that God had placed on him? Let's pray.